Savior has been sent. As a matter of fact, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You need to understand that here at St. Louis Bible Fellowship, we believe in celebrating the birth of our saviors, our, our Savior. After all, the angels did, right? Now, we know, we preach that Christ was not born on Christmas Day, December the 25th. Next week, we're actually going to talk about when Christ was born and how that fits an extremely important feast day, the Feast of Tabernacles, when he was actually born. But the rest of the world celebrates the birth of Christ this time of the year, so we're going to celebrate it right along with them. Because this is the time of the year when the world's attention is turned to that baby in the manger, and we want to make sure that we point them to the Christ on the cross. Amen? So the angels celebrated. We're going to celebrate. We're going to preach the truth that Jesus Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And folks, that's, that's mankind. That's, that's us. So this morning, turn with me to Luke chapter 2. Luke chapter 2. Now, what I want us to do over the next several weeks as we talk about the how, the where, the when, and the why, is we want to approach the Scripture just like journalists would, just like a reporter would. The news has been declared unto you this day in the city of David as a Savior. Well, a good journalist is going to say, why? Where? When? And how? Well, last week we talked about the how as we discussed the virgin birth and the importance of the virgin birth. Well, today we're going to be good journalists and we're going to ask where because the where is so significant. As a matter of fact, I believe it is one of the most thrilling, one of the most proof positive that God's Word is true, that God's Word is accurate, and that we can trust God's Word. And I believe God delights into presenting these type of truths to us just as a confirmation that what it is that we believe is absolutely true and accurate. My friends, I'm going to tell you, the more I study God's Word, and I've been doing it a long time, the more convinced I am that the Bible is true after all. You would think that if it was inaccurate, you would think that if it was not true, you would think if there were inconsistencies and issues and problems, that after a while those would sort of rise to the surface. That's not the case. What happens is the more we study the precious Word of God, the more that we understand it's true, that we can embrace it as truth, and the more we study the more golden, wonderful nuggets we uncover that just describe the majesty of God, the love of God, the graciousness of God. So Luke chapter 2, starting with verse 1. And it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. 
And this taxing was first made when Cyrenius was governor of Syria, and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. By the way, God made sure this was going to happen so there would be no room at the end. This is critical. This is significant. Okay? We're going to tell you why in just a second. They went to all the the, the, table, and and all went to be taxed, everyone into his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, into the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife, being great with child. And so it was that while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes. That's significant. Well, why? Well, we're about to tell you. Wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And you're going to be glad of that in just a second. And there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And lo, the angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign, a sign unto you, You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace and goodwill toward men. This morning, I want us to talk about an amazing truth, an amazing story that speaks of God's faithfulness, that speaks of God's long-suffering, that speaks of the accuracy of God's precious word. And this story here tells us that Christ Christ came, we can believe that he came, we can trust that he came, and it all has to do with the intricate details that God worked out, that God planned, that God told us was going to happen in order so in order that when the savior was born there would be ample proof. Logically, you would go, well, that just makes sense. I believe. I believe. Now here we have the birth of the spotless, sinless, without blemish, Lamb of God. Traditionally, we've been told that the Lord Jesus was born in a stable behind the inn. You ever heard that? Well, you need to understand there's no scriptural proof supporting that. The Bible does say that there was no room at the inn, but it doesn't say anything about the uh, innkeeper saying, you know, I don't have any room. I mean, we're full up. We're booked. Don't you know that that the governor says that the whole region, the whole world needs to be recorded, and so they're all here, and so I'm sorry, we don't have, we have no place for you to go with your pregnant wife. 
See, it would just make sense for Joseph, sense for Joseph to want to go to the end first because that would be the really best place, according to man's logic, for his pregnant wife, uh, Mary, to give birth to the Lord Jesus. But there was no room. God had worked that out. Because where he's going to be born is absolutely significant. It is so important in pointing to the fact that, behold, here is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. So there is no scriptural support. There's no scripture that tells us that he was born in the stable behind the end. And I'm telling you, the sweetness of the nativity scene can't hold a candle to the glorious truth of the typology that God arranged in order to show us that indeed this is the Lamb of God which has come to take away the sins of the world. There's no room in the end. People view that as a bad thing. As a matter of fact, I've heard sermon after sermon on preachers getting up and saying, there was no room at the end, but can't you find room in your heart to believe in Jesus? And so many sermons have been preached along those lines. But I'm telling you, that would have been bad. Where he was born is extremely good and is the hand of God. Now the scripture tells us many things about the birth of Christ, but there are five things I want to bring to your attention. Number one, God's word is true that Christ was virgin born. He was born of a virgin. Amen? If you don't believe that Christ came in the flesh, then God's word says that the spirit of Antichrist abides in you. You're not saved. If you do not believe that Christ was born of a virgin, if you say, well, no, I doubt that. That's just impossible. God's word says that you're not a believer. I believe God's word. See, I, I have never, ever in my entire life ever had a problem believing in the miracles of God's Word. I don't know, maybe this just goes back to my grandmother and just saying, you know, son, you better believe this is God's Word and, and just seeing her faithfulness and what an influence she had on me and then others that just loved God's Word and believed it. But I, I have never had a problem believing in the virgin birth. I've had doctors, I've had, I've had other people say that's impossible. And they've also said the bodily resurrection is impossible. And as we learned last week, what do we say to them? For with God, nothing shall be impossible. All things are possible with God. I'm not about to begin to doubt what he can do. I know, I know what he can do. He saved a wretch like me. Like you, so I know what God is capable of doing. So God's Word tells us that Christ was born of a virgin. God's Word tells us that in the fullness of time, Christ came born of a woman. Galatians 4.4 tells us in the fullness of time, Christ came. When, time, when, when the times were perfect, at just the right moment, according to God's plan, according to God's purpose, the world was ripe for the Savior to be born. In the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law. So at just the right time, Christ came. And by the way, what that tells us, 
at just the right time, he's going to come again. All the stuff that's going on, all the things that we fret over, all the things that we worry about, all the things that we wonder, oh, what's happening? Folks, I'm telling you, God is in control. God is on his throne. And just as surely in the fullness of time, he came the first time, in the fullness of time, at just the right moment, he's coming again. He's going to establish his kingdom on earth. Fortunately for us who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are going to be raptured out even before that second coming. But all of those things that you see going on, those are all leading up. I firmly believe it. These perilous times that we're facing are all leading up to that day of the Lord, leading up to the rapture of the church, and then seven years later, the second coming. So God's Word tells us in the fullness of time, at just the right moment. The next thing God's Word tells us is where? Where Christ was going to be born. He was going to be born in Bethlehem. Why, that's really taking a risk, isn't it? 700 years before the actual event, we, you hear that Christ is going to be born in Bethlehem? But what if the Word of God told us exactly where in the Bethlehem area He was going to be? Boy, that really narrows it down, doesn't it? It says it's going to be Bethlehem, but where in Bethlehem is the Savior going to be born? And the Bible does. It does. The fifth thing that, by, that God's Word tells us, that the Bible tells us, concerning the virgin birth, concerning Christ's coming, is that God so loved us that He gave His only begotten Son. What a gift. What a marvelous gift that is. So let's turn to Micah. Turn to Micah. Chapter 5. Micah chapter 5. Verse 2. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall he come forth unto me that is to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth have been from of old from everlasting. So God's word tells us he was going to be born in Bethlehem. As a matter of fact, when Herod asked the wise men, uh, or, or asked his scribes, they knew. The religious leaders of Israel knew where the Messiah, where the anointed one, where the king of Israel was to come from. Because when Herod asked them in uh, uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 4, when he called the scribes and, and the, and the uh, spiritual leaders there together, and he said, uh, where, because the wise men came and said, we're looking for the king, and Herod called them in and said, okay, now where was this to happen? And they told him, in Bethlehem, Bethlehem, so they knew. As a matter of fact, God's word had actually told them exactly when, in the book of Daniel, 
they could have counted it out. They could, they could have understood all of that according to God's word. So here it was. Bethlehem was designated where the Savior was to be born. I think it's significant of Bethlehem, which means what? House of bread. House of bread. Christ comes in John 6, 35, declaring him to, himself to be what? I am the bread of life. See, all of that fits. All of, that just makes so much sense. And again, it just, it just speaks of God's love and him wanting us to understand his word is his word. And he just throws out those special, wonderful morsels of truth that it just makes sense and it all fits together. But not only did he tell us the city, he told us whereabouts in that vicinity was the Messiah to come. And folks, this is where it gets really, really good. Micah chapter 4. Micah chapter 4. Look at verse 8. And thou, O tower of the flock, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, until thee, unto thee shall it come. Even the first dominion, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Now the tower of the flock, in Hebrew that is Migdal Edar. What is the Migdal Edar? What is the flock tower that it is supposed to come? The Savior, the Redeemer. It's going to be in Bethlehem. But what took place in and around Bethlehem that is so significant? What is this flock tower? What is this Migdal Eder that he was supposed to come? We know from the Mishnah, the Torah, which is the Jewish sacred writings, and understand those are not the, the Word of God, but they do give us insight into Jewish thought. But the Mishnah describes the flock tower as the place that the sacrificial lambs were to be born and to be brought in and watched over and wrapped in swaddling in order to keep them from damaging themselves or bruising themselves or blemishing themselves because it, around these flock towers, around Bethlehem, were where the flocks were raised specifically to be used at the, as the sacrificial lambs in the temple. And it was in the flock tower where those, uh, those uh, priests, priestly shepherds, literally they were shepherds who were priests, who were under strict uh, rabbinical rules and regulations when it came to cleanliness, when it came to how these lambs were to be taken care of, the method of care, how they observed and watched for these sheep, because if a, if a lamb was born, if something happened to one of the ewes and that, that lamb was no longer uh, 
you could no longer use it for a sacrifice, then they would have to separate it. There was so much that went into these lambs that were to be used in the temple as a sacrifice. This flock tower, this Migdal Edar, was established in, so, in order for these shepherds who were part of the priesthood who could look out and watch the ewes giving birth if there was a difficulty, they could bring it in. The lamb could be uh, delivered. Then the shepherds would go and they would bring that, that lamb in. Uh, Alfred Edersheim, in his book, The Life and Times of Jesus the Messiah, uh, in book 2, chapter 6, if you ever want to go study it for yourself, he goes into great detail, detail about this. It is, it is just unbelievable what the flock tower stood for how these shepherds watched over these lambs that were designated for sacrifice in the temple. They would have safe birthing. And these spotless lambs were destined for slaughter, and they would absolutely receive special attention. So the shepherds would attend to them, as I said, by wrapping them in swaddling clothes or swaddling cloths. This was strips of cloth taken from the garments of those shepherd priests to keep the sheep, the lambs, safe, secure, not being bruised. As a matter of fact, in Luke 2, what did the angel say to the shepherds? You shall find him wrapped. This shall be a sign unto you. You shall find him wrapped in swaddling clothes. Why being wrapped in swaddling clothes would be a sign? That's significant. I've heard people say, well, swaddling is just an indication of a mother's love and care a mother demonstrating love and care for her baby is going to be a sign, then those signs are going to be going on all over Israel. But when the angel told these shepherds, you're going to find the babe wrapped in swaddling, wow, lying in a manger, they knew exactly what was going on. They knew exactly where to go and look. Because that's what they did for the spotless, without blemish, sheep's sheep. So they, they had no doubt. There was no doubt where to go to find this babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Because here we have the matchless, sinless, perfect, without blemish, Lamb of God. No wonder John, in John chapter 1, verse 29, what does John say about him? John 1, verse 29. And the next, the next day John sees Jesus coming unto him, and he says, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. 1 Peter, chapter 1. Let 
Oh, I love this verse. Man, I love them all, but boy, this verse. First Peter, chapter 1, verse 18. For as much as you know that you are not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who was born in the exact location where the spotless Lamb of God was to be born, according to Micah 4.8. God's Word says this is where He's going to be born. You can take it to the bank. You can be assured that what God says is going to be in Bethlehem. It's going to be there at that flock tower because it's there at that flock tower where my spotless lambs are born. It's going to be a sign to them. This is the Messiah. This is the chosen one. This is the one who is to take away the sins of the world. Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. Oh, my. Verse 7. Well, we've got to start with verse 6. Well, let's start with verse 3. It's just all too good to skip any of it he is despised and rejected of man of men a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief and we hid as it were our faces from him he was despised and we esteemed him not surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows yet he yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of god and afflicted but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he opens not his mouth. And God in his love and his mercy and wanting to make sure you understood that his word is true and accurate and wanting him to show, he was wanting to show you just how much you could trust him. He said, I'm even going to have him be born in the exact spot where all the temple lambs are born. That, that is going above and beyond in order to show you that he's exactly who he says he is. From the exact place to the exact time, Christ Jesus came into the world. And it all points to the fact that he is indeed the Savior of the world. When he says I, he came into the world, to seek and to save that which was lost. He came realizing that he and he alone could be the Savior of mankind. What we have in Christ Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh, Emmanuel. He came declaring himself to be your Savior, your Passover lamb. And my question to you this morning, is he your Savior? By faith, have you trusted in him? There, there could be absolutely nothing more obvious and true and plain 
from Genesis to Revelation that God's word is true, that God cares for you, that God loves you, that the payment for your sin has been paid. It's all there. The only question is, by faith have you believed? Have you trusted Christ? Have you come to the realization that it's not your works, it's not your deeds, it's not what you do in order to merit that salvation, but it's all by God's grace in this present dispensation of grace where we believe by faith. And when we believe, God is the one who does the work. And that work started on Calvary's cross. That's where the payment is, was done. And then the work that God does in that person who comes and believes, God sanctifies, He justifies, He makes righteous that sinner who by faith believing comes and trusts Christ as his Savior. Let me encourage you not to delay. If you have never by faith trusted Christ, I'm telling you, today is the day of salvation. Folks, I am convinced that the rapture of the church could take place at any moment. I see what's going on in the world today as an absolute indication that we are getting close But even if the rapture didn't take place for another thousand years, very few of us are going to be around in another 20. And that goes that fast. You could fall over dead this afternoon, not to scare you, but to scare you if you've never known Christ. If you know Christ, that's to encourage you. If you know Christ, that's to kind of get you excited. Heaven is my home. Eternal life is ours. That the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's, that's exciting for those who know Christ. But let me encourage you not to delay if by faith you've never trusted Christ. He can save you. He will save you by His grace. The message of Christmas Oh, what an important message that we need to be sharing during this time. People are fearful. People are wondering. People are concerned, and rightfully so. But what rightfully so also is that God loves you. Christ died for you. And his gift that he offers is eternal life through Jesus Christ. That child in the manger was God's gift. That Christ on the cross was God's gift. And the invitation is to believe. Is it any wonder this time of the year that we celebrate by giving gifts and exchanging gifts and expressing our love to one another. Because I think it's all demonstrative of our appreciation and of the greatest gift of all, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you this morning for the accuracy of your word. We thank you for what your word tells us about who you are, 
an extreme measure that you went to in order to redeem us to yourself. Father, we thank you for that baby in the manger, but oh, we praise you for that Christ that hung on the cross. Father, that baby demonstrates your love. That Christ on the cross demonstrates what you were willing to endure in order to buy, to purchase our salvation. Father, this morning we come before you and we thank you that the tomb is empty. We're thankful that we serve a risen Savior. We're thankful, Father, that we can serve you, we can live for you, that we can be part of your plan and purpose to tell a lost world that Christ is the answer. Father, may we understand that calling as your ambassadors, as the ministers of the word of reconciliation. Father, may we understand what that summarizes, that we are that minister to share with the world that they can be reconciled to you because of what you've done and who you sent in order to purchase our redemption. Oh, Father, we love you this morning. How we thank you for Calvary. How we thank you for eternal life. We come recognizing that it's only through Christ. Now, Father, I pray if there's anyone here this morning that's never by faith trusted you. Father, I pray that they will not leave this building. They will not leave their seat until by faith they trust Christ as Savior. Father, I pray the Holy Spirit will just convict them of their sin, convict them of their need for you. And Father, they'll understand that you died for them, you were buried for them, that you rose again for them. By faith, they'll believe the gospel. Now, Father, we pray all these things in Christ's holy and most precious name. Amen.